So yeah, my uh, my guest today is KL. Um, she's she's got a great great story for us today. Um, you know, she's going to talk a little bit about you know kind of the generation um, that created kind of where she where she ended up uh, today. A little bit about a story of um, you know her son, what drove her to create uh, Voices and Courage. Um, you know she's got a great site, VoicesandCourage.com. You can go visit that and see what what great things she's doing there. And then we're going to talk a little bit uh, about you know potentially attempting to break generational um, addiction, maybe a little more about building a safe community for loved ones. But um, again, KL, thank you for joining me. And um, thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah. So if you just want to get into uh, what we were talking about before we started uh, a little bit about how the generational, you know, curse, if you will, sometimes uh, kind of guided you where you're at. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. And so there's a larger context is when I was growing up in the late 50s and 60s, uh, my mom was addicted to prescription medications that it a lot of what they did at that time. You know, you see a psychiatrist and they give you uppers to start your day and downers to end your day. And um, that significantly influenced, you know, who she was in my life when I was growing up, which was generally angry. Um, And I kind of bore the brunt of that um, as the oldest child. And my brother, who was about 11 months younger, um, was uh, very ill as a child. And so he got a lot of the attention. Um, and so, so dealing with the mom, prescription medications, um, subsequently, my brother started doing drugs when he was about 12, 13, um, ended up being addicted to cocaine. And, um, and I years later, talked him into getting into rehab, um, which was great. Um, I married an alcoholic <laughs> a long time ago. Um, and Got out of that marriage uh, five years later uh, with a son named Sam. And now, really quickly with your brother, just because yeah. I'm curious, does he share the same type of feelings in terms of feeling like, um, you know, that he was he was cared after and looked after or the other the other child had more attention than than you, you two? Um, well, my brother is passed. Okay. Um, so I would say that he and my mom had a very, very strong connection. Okay, and good. he would say that she was his best friend. Um, I, his Because he used drugs at such an early age and for so long, you know, I, I realized when my mom actually did pass about 20 some years ago, my brother was still alive. And we had a conversation over the phone around that time. And his his perception of our growing up was so vastly different than my experience. Um, I, I realized in that moment that, wow, we, we don't have any common ground here other than we come from the same parents. And um, so, you know, I I don't know, uh, he would have very different stories if he was alive to tell today. And I would say also that, which is a common theme in all of this is, he experienced a lot of trauma um, because of his illness with mm-hmm. doctors. He was a pincushion at a very young age um, and he wasn't expected to live. And so there was a lot of 
trauma around all of that as a youngster. And I didn't like realize it until I got older and started doing my own work because, you know, I was just a kid at the same time he was a kid. Right. Um, But I decided relatively early that I did not want to create the same family that I grew up in. And I didn't want the same dysfunction. I didn't want the same emotional distance that my, my dad um, was a great dad, but there was an emotional distance there. He was a world war II vet. Um, My mom was pretty unavailable also dealing with my brother um, and then kind of being angry at the whole situation. And so my place to kind of land was with my mom's parents. My grandmother was instrumental in my Mm -hmm. life and was the rock that gave me the foundation to, I guess, survive and thrive during my growing up years. So there's a whole kind of story around that. I do really believe in hearing so many stories now that if there's just one person, you know, that can hold the space for you while you're navigating all of this, it just makes such a huge difference. And my grandmother was that for me. Yeah, my grandmother was the same way. Um, My mother's an alcoholic, you know, had six or seven DUIs, resisting arrest on police officers. And so my grandmother was pretty much like a lot of the one who raised me. So I share that common. So you're not to get you off track, but so you were talking about, you had Sam. Yeah. Then I had Sam, um, and divorced from my ex-husband. Um, and, uh, so he was an alcoholic PTSD Vietnam vet, um, you know, big experiences with him in terms of post-traumatic stress. So, you know, I, I think I view my life as accumulating experiences and wisdom and learning through this whole process because I never stopped, you know, seeking counselors, um, reading. Uh, I'm an immensely curious person. I wanted to find people who had learned how to navigate this um, and thrive and still be joyful and not go down the rabbit hole of the trauma, the, the drama, mm-hmm. um, the desperation, um, all, all that kind of swirls around this disease. Um, and so as years progressed, I, I remarried and um, my partner now is 28 years sober. Um, so, and we've managed to create what I was mm-hmm. always hoping you remarried. Create. You were remarried to your alcoholic previous mm-hmm. husband, or okay. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I was like, well, that's another whole story there. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we stayed in touch, and okay. he did eventually get sober, which I was really glad to see. I mean, no. you know, everybody that I've known that's an alcoholic um, or an addict on the recovery side they're extraordinary human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, And I firmly believe that they are here for a purpose. And and for me, that's to elevate humanity. And so if they can get on the other side and into their own recovery, then the people that emerge are these extraordinary heart-centered, very wise, um, delightful, lovely human beings that I love hanging out with. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, so that's my story around that. Um, so what I would say is, you know, just from, a wow, a, a just the jolt of my son's experience was the thing that really catapulted me into another level, another completely different level of my own personal work. Mm-hmm. And, 
it really centered around about four years ago, we began to realize that there was something wrong. We live in two different states, so we weren't seeing Sam on a regular basis. Um, but um, he started asking for money. And yeah, that's pretty um, typical. Yeah, super typical. Um, but you know, he had inherit his dad had passed away a year earlier and he had inherited some money. He had his own home, he had a girlfriend, he had a great job, he had been progressing it professionally. And so all the outside indicators were like he was living a good life. Um, and then um phone call comes, um, can I borrow 300 bucks? You know, I'll pay you back when I get, you know, paid. Um, unbeknownst to us, he had already lost his job um, and was on this downward spiral in terms of not being able to be employed, um, eventually lost his house, um, his girlfriend. And then the final, wow, just really traumatic catapult experience for me was we had gone up to see him. Um, he was in drug psychosis, wandering the streets of where he lived. And we went up and we found him um, and, and fed him and then took him back to the hotel with us. But, you know, he was in um, this massive paranoia mm -hmm. um, and couldn't stay focused and agitated. And um, he wasn't mad at us, um, but very, very, you know, unsettled out of it at that yeah. point. Right. So he made up some story and left the hotel room. Um, within an hour, I heard sirens and yelling, and I looked out the hotel room window down on the street below, and I watched a cop car pull up behind him as he was walking up the street, um, and the cop got out of the car and pulled a gun and you know, said, you know, drop to your needs. And so at that point I ran down the stairs. So I was on the street um, as the arrest was taking place. And there, you know, there were probably four cop cars there, six or seven police. Um, it took four police to, you know, get him on the ground and move him from the ground to the police car. Um, he was yelling at me to save him. Um, and, you know, I'm telling the, one of the police officers his story and saying he is in drug psychosis right now. Um, where might you be taking him? You know, so on and so forth. And with, that a, lot began, of, with a lot of times that's just unfortunate because it's they're really in like the, at the, in the times you grew up, they had availability for people that had mental illness. But. Today, they, they don't. And a, a jail cell is not, um, you know, drug induced or not, is not a good location for somebody like that. No. Well, and honestly, what happened was he gets arrested. Um, it was so traumatic for me. I just completely lost it. Mm -hmm. And once I got back up to the hotel room, because I, I wanted to be present for him since mm -hmm. I was, um, I wanted, to be the love in the room, basically. And he's um, yelling, help me and say, <laughs> yes, there's no way you can do that at that point. Yeah. And honestly, <clears throat> the arrest was what he needed. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
I go up to the hotel room and this is one of the things that I talk about when I talk to family members and, and people is I just lost it. I completely mm-hmm. came unglued. And well, to that point, had, had he kind of taken you through the ringer? You, there's a lot of, yes. there's a lot in between there that probably oh, yeah. filled up to that <laughs> moment. So it wasn't. Oh like, yeah. Lots of phone calls, desperation, need money. You know, somebody's after me with what the water's getting turned off. Um, the power's turned off. We don't have any food. And, you know, these calls come at all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, they're always desperate. Um, and I, urgent last minute. Uh, urgent. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I, you know, learned how to navigate those phone calls, mm-hmm. um, sometimes not taking them. Um, and, and, you know, kind of going through my own journey about, you know, what actually is helpful for him and what's not. And I mean, this is when you do your real work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I personally, um, you know, as a mom, I wanted to be able to do something. And it took me a little while to get super clear about the money piece of it. Um, and um, and so that was an internal struggle, struggle, real struggle for me. Um, and I finally got on the other side of it with a lot of help uh, from my, my partner and um, a counselor and my own work. Um, but that was that was part of it for me. So so anyway, so he goes to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we knew where he was. So we turned around and drove home. And um, he's in psychosis at this point. So he's in a he's in a solitary. And he gets transferred to the bigger county jail. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the judge on a Monday or a Tuesday. First offense. Um, and they let him go. Mm-hmm. And I was beside myself because he's in psychosis still. Um, And I knew he was going to do something else. So within an hour and a half, he's back in jail again because he had tried to steal a Lamborghini. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And um, and so then it begins in terms of, okay, how, how do you navigate the jail system? Who do I who can I talk to to check on him? And uh, so I reached out to my network mm-hmm. and got people that I could talk to and figure out how to navigate. And um, it took um, about three to four weeks for him to come out of psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, you know, we're able to check on um, the police blogs or the jail blog um, about what's happening and the reports and so on and so forth. And um, so learning how to navigate without being able to talk to him, knowing he's in solitary confinement in drug psychosis was really quite a journey, I have to say. Um, And then, you know, it just, it just, you know, gets, (laughs) just gets more crazy after that. I mean, on one one hand, you're, you're grateful that you know exactly where he's at, but on the other hand, you know, that he's not being taken care of They're They're not going to, you know, in jail, in prison, they don't, uh, you know, they're not worried about your mental, mental situation. No. So that's rough. Yes. Um, it, it was hard. Um, and 
they had put in for uh, a transfer to um, a, a mental health institution, okay. but it was months away. Um, so and they, um, keep him in there for months. Uh, well, let's see. He was in there for three and a half months before he went to re the first rehab. And by then he was out of the drug psychosis and be, and able to, you know, navigate and he, he got his brain back. And, um, so, um, I mean, then that was another concern too. Is he actually going to come back to us? Right. Um, because obviously, you know, it was, uh, what he, whatever he had used had been laced and we didn't know was there going to be permanent damage? Um, who, who was actually going to reemerge? And fortunately, um, he did reemerge, um, as you know, who we know him to be. And so a guy I sponsor right now, a new guy, um, um, his name is Mitch. He, um, you know, he, he shared with me cause it's not, it's not what I, what I used, um, in my, in my, my, my time, but he shared how like the, the psychosis that whenever he uses now compared to the way he used then it was fun then. And there was a, a, a decent amount of reality, but now he just, every time he uses, he just, he said, it's just like, it's an immediate movie and, wow. and it's hard to wow. even coming out of it. It's hard for him. He says to even try to determine, was it, was it actually happening or not? So all those psychotic moments could potentially become reality. So yeah, it's good. He, he came out of that. Yeah, absolutely. And he didn't re-experience that. So uh, we're really grateful for that. Um, but um, yeah, I just can't even imagine. So, um, so, so rehab, so the first rehab, it was a, you know, court deal that he go to rehab and, um, and then go into a drug court program. He got kicked out two weeks in, um, and, you know, was kicked out on Thanksgiving day, put on a bus back to his house. Um, you know, that's a whole, you know, there, everything's a story, (laughs) you know, and everything is, so do we believe you or not believe you? Um, how, how do you navigate that? So, you know, multiple rehabs, um, most of the rehabs I was able to visit him at, we visited him at the jail. Um, and, um, and eventually he did kind of kick into him. Okay. I need to, I need to really do this. Mm -hmm. So he did do a drug court program for a year and was great, was back working again, um, had a girlfriend, um, and was rebuilding his life and was doing really well. Um, and, but he had, uh, a, a close friend that was also in the drug court program with him. They graduated the same day and their idea together was, okay, we're going to celebrate graduation. So they did math and that began a very quick downward spiral. Pretty normal behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't necessarily prepared for that, um, as quickly as it happened. Um, but you know, we've learned a lot and we were able to figure it out, navigate it. Um, realize that it's a progressive illness. Um, so (laughs) every time somebody relapses, whether it's months or years down the road, it's, they get back to the place they were faster and faster each time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it was, 
this time was super dark. Mm-hmm. So, and this time he got mad at me because I wouldn't give him money. <clears throat> and then he cut us off. Mm-hmm. And that was my, throughout all the rest of it, I had worked really hard to keep the lines of communication open, let him know that no matter what he did or what he was going through, that he was always loved mm-hmm. and um, that we were going to love him through this journey and that I believed it was for a higher purpose. Um, yeah. And eventually that would hopefully reveal itself. Um, and then last fall, um, he, he stopped talking to us. So Can I ask you a quick question. Yeah. Um, just because I'm curious and, and, you know, again, I don't, I don't really want you to go into it because I, it would probably be an entire podcast itself. <laughs> all the, all the work that you've probably done for yourself yes. uh, to, mm-hmm. to grow and become healthier. Um, but have had, throughout all that period, have you had, had you ever done like Naranon or Al-Anon? Um, I had been to Al-Anon through uh, when my ex um, revealed as an alcoholic, I went mm-hmm. a couple times. I went to Al-Anon a couple times, to- one time maybe with this whole thing with Sam, it, it wasn't what I needed. Okay. Um, I am, I'm a very, um, goals oriented person Mm -hmm. and I had an aspiration for myself. Um, I love my life. I love what I do professionally and I wanted to learn how to thrive in the midst of this craziness Mm -hmm. and that I wasn't getting that when I went to Al-Anon. So, um, so I needed to create another community for myself and, um, and other resources and other people that had that same aspiration as I did. So he cut you off and then last fall. Yeah. We were still in contact with his girlfriend. Uh, We have a great relationship there. So through her, we had some sense about what he was up to, but she had also, you know, kicked him out of the house. Um, So at that point he was couch surfing and, and, um, um, and, we were pretty sure he was selling. Um, and so then in December, um, he was, he was selling and was almost killed, um, uh, by, you know, drug people. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and he lived. So, um, he immediately put himself, um, in rehab and went to another location. And then, um, came out New Year's Day, went into residential um, and did really well there and um, and is now, you know, very much in recovery, um, back to working, back with his girlfriend, back to talking to us. He just came down and visited us um, about a month ago for the first time in a long time. And, um, you know, he's he is the best version of himself. Mm-hmm. that I've seen since he was a teenager. Um, so, so we've navigated this and learned a lot through this whole process as somebody who is a loved one, a parent, um, or, you know, for me, I was a daughter of an addict, a, a sister of an addict, uh, the spouse of an of alcoholic, you know, so on and so forth. And so I've done a lot of work all along the way. Right. And, um, so I just kept employing those things that I knew I needed to do. Um, and out of that experience with Sam in particular, 
I began to realize that there aren't enough resources for the loved ones. Um, I had to kind of cobble together what would serve me at a higher level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did. And then I began to coach and train on it and uh, created a curriculum, so on and so forth. And so out of this, this last experience with Sam Voices and Courage was born because, you know, uh, they have a sponsor, (laughs) they have NAAA, a community Mm -hmm. to go to. Um, We don't. Meeting. So, (laughs) you know, so, so when, when the shit hits the fan, um, who's my sponsor, you know, who's my um, NAAA group. Um, And so I needed to create my own and find my own people um, that would have the aspirations of thriving through this experience that I have. And um, so that's how Voices and Courage was born Mm -hmm. and realizing that we all needed a safe community to be able to tell our truth and, um, and have a safe place to be loved through our own journey. Um, We've recorded a whole bunch of interviews so that people can can look and see, you know, how people have learned how to navigate this and and are where they are in various um, parts of this journey because because it continues to be a journey. Um, so we're creating membership mm-hmm. and coaching and training um, that. People and that's can- why that's why I'll get I'll get back to that uh, the membership coaching and training to keep you on track. But that's why meetings uh, work so well. Um, if everybody that was in the room was at the same place in the same time with the same experience, it wouldn't work. Um, you right. know, you've got people with, you know, 10 years, five years, two days struggling. Um, and so it's just that, that wealth of experience that yes. uh, it really, uh, really creates a, a, a group atmosphere. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, so, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with people who are new to this journey and people who have been in, on this journey for years mm-hmm. um, and are still learning, mm, learning about themselves and learning um, about how this can serve their life. I'm a big believer in that life shows up for us mm-hmm. um, instead of happening to us. And I still really believed all through this whole crazy experience with Sam that this was in service of a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. And I wrote Sam a thank you <laughs> for uh, his addiction, um, because honestly, I wouldn't have done this level of work if it hadn't been for him. So yeah, self-improvement, even if it's out of fire, is uh, yes. is a huge benefit. Well, we always, I mean, we always say there's a lot of people <laughs> that are regular who aren't addicts that could use an A somewhere. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I really do believe the biggest growth that we experience as human beings comes out of the fire Mm -hmm. as long as we're willing to do the work. Um, And so one of the things that I did do in the midst of uh, still kind of in the crazy space uh, was I signed up to do a nine month vision quest process. Mm -hmm. What was that like? That was extraordinary. Um, Wow. Um, I, every month I would get together with this group. Um, we had a sweat lodge. Uh, there was a lot of personal work to do. It was this obviously a spiritual journey. Um, a lot of me looking back over my life 
and seeing how um, all these all these things that you would normally tag as traumatic or bad or um, terrible or whatever were all stepping stones um, that turned out to be a tremendous gifts for me. And to be able to look back over the totality of my life and to recognize that and to see how exquisitely it was designed um, to bring me to this place and to be able to be strong and hold the space to, to birth Voices in Courage um, was such a gift. Not to mention the tribe that I got out of that experience, which they were in the thick of it with me through the entire experience with Sam and still are. Mm-hmm. So I still routinely do sweat lodges as a tool that works really well for me for releasing and detoxing and, and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So <laughs> that's all in Washington. Yes. Um, we happen to live in Oregon. Um, but I do go up to Washington because that's where I moved down from. And that's where I had really deep connections to be able to step into a vision quest experience with people that I trusted. Mm -hmm. So, so when you're talking about, um, one of the things that, you know, the breaking generational addiction, what would be your, your take on how that would be accomplished? Well, for me personally, um, I made decisions early on in my life that I did not want to replicate uh, what was happening in my family. Um, And that took a while to figure that out necessarily. Um, You know, I I drank fairly heavily in my mid 20s. um, And then I just and then, you know, I married an alcoholic. And um, fortunately for me, you know, I, I didn't have that hook. Yeah. From that perspective, um, I was very fortunate that way. But um, and then I haven't I probably haven't had a drink in 20 some years. Um, th- it just doesn't the difference is medically and, you know, scientifically. You, you know, you said early 20s, um, you know, where where, you know, there have been numerous papers written. A lot of the issues are from, you know, people that are 10, 11, 12, 13 starting on their path, then, you know, you somehow made it to your twenties, you know? Yes. I think that's a huge, huge benefit, uh, of keeping people guided away from it some way as a kid, because a lot of kids that end up using a large percentage is just from their, you know, their parents' medicine cabinet. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I absolutely can see how that happens. I mean, for whatever reason, um, being the oldest, you know, the typical responsible, good grades, sports, you know, blah, blah, blah. Having a grandmother who was intimately involved in my life. Um, my About 15, I started going out to a ranch in Montana during the summer and working. That space gave me um, the foundation to be clearer, I think, on my own path. Um, and so I had those things in place, which informed and influenced me in my later years too, um, I think was a great learning for me to understand that piece. Um, so I used that and then, you know, I started drinking, but I, I wasn't, what I didn't understand at that point was how pivotal 
how we deal with trauma from childhood is. Mm-hmm. And, and I've learned so much more um, in the last few years in terms of most of us are traumatized in some form or fashion. And it's what we do with that trauma, how we deal with it, um, how we frame it in our heads, what's the story that we tell. Um, and we can retell stories and we can learn new skill sets and we can learn how to navigate. Um, and, and we're not destined to repeat the trauma of, of our childhood. And as I began to realize that, I began to realize that I actually could craft a completely different path. Um, and and it, it took years to, <clears throat> excuse me, find the partner <clears throat> that, hmm would help me create the intimate relationship that I so wanted to create Mm -hmm. strong, healthy, intimate, um, connected. We talk about everything. Um, yeah, because that that wasn't your experience growing up. It didn't sound (laughs) what you said. I mean, there was a a bunch kind of condensed in a, a few sentences, but, um, it wasn't the loving touch and hugging, you know, loving family growing up. No, I, I, I honestly do not remember being hugged. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember having like conversations about things that like really mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, we, although my brother was doing drugs as a teenager in our house and I was there, we never had a conversation about it. (laughs) Um, so amazing that you'd somehow dodge that bullet. Oh, it, it's really stunning, um, actually. So I, I think I think I am blessed with immense curiosity and um, and just knowing that I could I could create my own life mm-hmm. in a way that that was the best version of who I am. And a, a lot of people don't know that. I mean, uh, that's a lot of my work is helping people recognize that they actually have more control, more power, more, um, more that they can bring to the table to recreate the life that they actually really do want to live. Um, and that you can, as a parent or a sister, brother, grandmother, grandfather, uh, friend thrive while you also have somebody that you love who is in the depths of alcoholism or addiction. When I think and- something that people struggle with a lot, and I think, you know, just from having, you know, almost 10 years of being clean and sober in November is when that will be, um, you know, people in, in my space have either come so close to death and, uh, you know, people that aren't in that space don't, um, you know, I just don't think they understand that life is short and there's only a small amount of time that you have to, to make an impact. Um, so it isn't until the later stages, maybe that they, they realize, you know, maybe I want to, so that's good. That's good that, you know, you're driving people to kind of see, uh, be of service, figure out a better way to, to, to offer something to humanity. Yes. Yeah. And I would say my career has been, um, very much predicated on serving individuals, usually in the executive space, mm-hmm. um, and organizations, corporate corporations or nonprofit organizations, um, to create more of a healthy impact on the planet and, um, and humanity. 
So I've been in that space for a while. It's a different thing to take it personally and have it be an expression of your own uh, trauma. Out of my own experience, um, Voices and Courage was born. So how much so, time did your son get put together? Um, well, he's roughly? at this point, he's just been um, clean and sober for almost seven months. Okay. So what I will say um, is that he feels much clearer right now than I've ever seen him in terms of his own um, disease and feels very much more committed than he has ever before. Is he in so, a sober living or is he just back with his normal living situation? He's back with his girlfriend. And then from my side of things, yeah. um, is he, is he attending meetings? Does he yes. have a sponsor? Is he working at steps? Yes. So he's really engaged in the program. Yes. This is the first time where he has, he's got a great sponsor. Oh, good. Um, he's got a great men's group, um, that he goes to twice a week. Um, he is working the steps. Um, you know, I mean, you know, the drill, um, it takes so many, generally, um, rehabs, um, to go cycle through when you start to learn, okay, I can't have a drink. Um, oh, I do need to actually have a sponsor. Oh, I actually do need mm-hmm. to go to group. I can't, um, and learning. I can't be California sober like Demi Lovato. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and, and you have to learn what works for you. I mean, my, my partner just stopped drinking period. Mm-hmm. Um, and wasn't a big proponent uh, or wasn't a big attender of AA. Okay. Um, but, but what I would say is it was years before um, she actually did the real deep personal work mm-hmm. um, to get on the other side. Well, there are some and, people that aren't, you know, aren't addicts or alcoholics, you know, it, it takes that person's drive to find out. And then like you've recognized somebody who's had years of issues and years of consequences and that path. We always say we don't want to identify somebody's membership to the program, but, but with somebody like that, like that's continued to have a litany of consequences and issues and, and um, you know, just consequences in life financially. Yeah. Um, those people are the people that need to stay focused in. And, and, uh, and I'll just say, you know, just, from my experience, and I know you probably heard it from the one podcast you listened to, but so yeah, the uh, you know, and and all the work that I've I've done throughout the years with people, um, all the people that I've sponsored, you know, literally, you know, probably a hundred over the course of all this time, um, the people that work all twelve steps and are of service in some some shape or form are still here today. The people that don't do that or sit in the back of the room and just think they're going to get it through osmosis or they work through all 12 steps and they don't, they're not active. Um, I don't think everybody's going to sponsor. I mean, I sponsor some people that will never probably sponsor, you know, they have a lot of mental challenges that are going on. They're probably never going to be able to drive and meet with someone. And, um, but they're in some way they're of service in other ways, like hosting a meeting, chairing a meeting. Yeah reading. So, um, just from my experience and I, and I know, you know, that, but I just felt compelled to, 
you know, uh, for everybody that surrounds surrounds him, that if he continues on that path and continues to stay involved, stay connected, because even I and other people, you get at like the two year period, the five year period uh, you get. Um, and I hate to share generally because it's all about your own experience, but I just right. I've seen so many people um, there gets to be this level of maybe I don't. Maybe I'm, maybe I don't need it. And a lot of, a lot of men, um, they don't use when things are shitty. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's, it's great. It's a Friday. I just got paid. It's my life is in a perfect spot and a thought creeps in that they could probably just have a drink or, you know, and it, you know, it usually starts out with something that is not closely related to the drug of choice because in, in our minds, that's the, like the trick, you know, like I didn't have a problem with this. I wasn't wandering the streets when I had a couple drinks and then, um, that's where it goes and it just escalates until they're, you know, maybe potentially call on their way back. Yes. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we, uh, I I believe is that for both sides of the equation, whether you're the loved one or the alcoholic or the addict is we all need community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's the that's building the safe community for loved ones. So talk about that. Well, it's so important in terms of navigating life. <laughs> um, and certainly when you have traumatic experiences um, or loved ones that are dealing with this disease, it, it's a, it shines a big spotlight on the power and the importance of having a community that has your back that is there for you to, to be heard and listened to. Um, and community matters. And I, I think through COVID, it was another spotlight that got shown on how um, we need to skill up in terms of creating communities for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is the root of resilience and thriving. And we are the sum total of who we surround ourselves with. And so what I read not too long ago was that like about 15 years ago, generally speaking, people had three close friends. And as of five years ago, they had two. So we're, we're on the you know, down spiral of being able to create community for ourselves. And we're not learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. And we're isolating ourselves. And that is just a recipe for disaster, but also an unhappy life and a lack of resiliency. And when life shows up and knocks you on your butt, who do you turn to? Um, and when you have those extraordinary days, who do you turn to? Who right. do you share it with? Um, so so it was it was another shining example of how community is just important for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we don't have enough communities, quote unquote, uh, for the loved ones to, to have a safe place to come and talk to about what's going on, but also to continue to up level the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not one that likes to stay in the drama whatsoever. And who, who I, does? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are people who do. <laughs> um, I don't play with them for very long, but um, I wanted people to have a place where they could come to and tell their truth and be held um, in a safe space and and be challenged to up their game mm-hmm. in terms of their own lives. 
take this as an opportunity to, you know, work on creating the next best version of yourself. Um, and the, there are a few books out there that really do speak to this in terms of the best thing you can do for uh, someone that you love that is an alcoholic or addict is work on yourself. Is the self-care mm-hmm. um, and do the spiritual work, the personal development work, whatever you want to call it on yourself to make yourself um, a stronger, happier, healthier human being also, which in some ways leads the way, hopefully. So um, yeah, and you think about it because we, you know, one of the, in whatever, whatever a you go to, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's 12 steps and, and it says powerless over, and it just kind of inserts a lot of times substances NA says addiction, AA says alcohol, you know, sexual anonymous probably says sex, gambling says gambling. Um, but one of the things that uh, is talked about is, you know, how powerless an addict or an alcoholic is over their own addiction, regardless of what that is. So if you look at it on the flip side, like how much power, if they're powerless over theirs, how much power do you think as a loved one you have over it? You know, it's so far disconnected. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and and that's one of the bigger spaces uh, or one of the bigger thinkings around this is I need to rescue them. I need to fix them. Um, I, 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 and it's not an I equation. Um, And certainly when you have an adult uh, that you're dealing with, um, they're at choice. Um, They can make decisions that make their lives different. And so recognizing that, you know, I couldn't put my son in AA or take him to meetings Mm -hmm. or, I mean, I do hear parents that do that, but that's not me. So, um, you know, and he's 30 at this point. So his decisions, I had to learn to wait for the next best decision on his part, Mm -hmm. just like me making the next best decision on how I handled this. And, um, and recognizing too, I think this is an important thing for a lot of people to recognize is that this is a brain disease. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot by watching, um, a video called pleasure unwoven, um, that was recommended by, I think it was the third rehab that Sam had been in. And, uh, it's done by a doctor who is a recovering addict himself. Um, and he basically unpacks the the question, is this a disease or is this a choice? And what I learned out of that was that our brains insert the drug of choice um, as the number one way to survive. Yeah. And so for me, that made so much sense to understand why Sam was doing some of the illegal things and all the crazy things that he was doing. That was just not who he really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and to understand that he was doing it out of desperation to survive because that's what, you know, it, it moves into that position. I was like, Oh, okay. Now a lot of this makes sense. Um, you just have to wait for them to get to the point, hopefully that they decide that, that they want to surrender and then change the outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely your brain, you know, prioritizes it, um, you know, not only just, and that's the sad part too. You were talking about your mother um, early on is that a lot of it just the same with me, 
it was a prescription for like wisdom tooth pain. I mean, it wasn't anything Wow. like you just wanted to do a backflip in the addiction, but um, you know, with, with your, with anybody, your body naturally, your brain naturally holds back a certain percentage to protect itself, but then naturally builds tolerance. So whether, whether or not I wanted to progress through or not, it, it wasn't up to me to start with, you know, so but yeah, and yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but because I've never actually validated it, so I shouldn't even bring this shit up on here. But um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I hate not doing research uh, and then talking about something, something anecdotal. But um, and maybe you know, uh, but I always think back to the to the experiment that they that they claim to have done with the with the mice. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, where they where they took you know mice and and you know, gave them a choice between food, uh, and water or cocaine mm-hmm. and the mice died, uh, most, you know, maybe up to a hundred percent almost. And then they decided to build like the, the, the mice community of like Kings Island resort location. And then such a large percentage dropped off. They, they actually chose to stay around. They didn't just choose cocaine. A lot of them didn't die. So I don't know if that was a validated story or not, but I was, that's pretty much what an addict does. Yes. You were talking about the community. Yes. um, Having an availability. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, the people that Sam has intersected with along the way, a lot of them did not have the family support that he had. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't have people who love them unconditionally. Um, they chose not to do the community things that would have helped them learn how to do life differently. Mm-hmm. Um, they chose to stay kind of stuck in the world that they were in, um, and, and not to do the trauma work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, part of this is you have to do the trauma work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no escaping it, um, because, um, it just is. And it, you can only bury it for so long and it will, it will rise up to, um, to kill you if, if, uh, it takes that much. So, you know, I personally chose to do my trauma work, um, all along my life's path. Um, and as layers get revealed, there's more and more work to do always. Um, so I, I consider myself never done. Um, I still want to continue to stretch and um, explore those next layers. Um, and I do believe that Sam is on that path also. Um, what I was thinking about a little bit ago, uh, Ray, was my my wife had an image of him when we were doing a sweat lodge at one point of him at the age of 40, um, owning his own business. And helping others Mm -hmm. that have been in the path that he had been on. And um, we were able to share that vision with him just recently in the last month or so. And that very much feels, you know, just from an intuitive spiritual place for me, like right on target. Um, And I pay a lot of attention to my intuition. So uh, I, uh, throughout this, even in the darkest moments, when I didn't know if he would live or die, um, I still held on to that vision mm-hmm. of who he was becoming through this experience. Yeah. And um, 
and still do. So it, um, I, I do think that having a vision um, of a brighter day um, as service life mm-hmm. um, is really, really powerful. Yeah, it absolutely is. And then, um, you know, be, before we jump off here, could you give me just uh, for the listeners, like um, a high level bullet point summary of of what, uh, you know, voices encourage if they were to participate in 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 in, in your community based and, and support group, what what that would look like? Um, we're going to launch in the fall. Okay. Um, we've been putting all the assets in place at this point, but what they can get is they can, there are varying levels that they can participate in. There will be a membership um, that will allow them a window in into conversations that we've had with mm-hmm. both sides of the equation so they can learn from other people's experiences. Um, I do have um, a training that I have done. Uh, that's a five strategy training on how to live a thriving life in the midst of the chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be doing regular, at least twice a month, um, coaching sessions, group coaching sessions, and I will be available for um, independent coaching sessions also. So <clears throat> um, there's a blog and um, and there's interaction with our community. And as the community grows, um, we will be paying, you know, close attention to what they say they need yeah. um, and continue to evolve um, based on what the needs of the community are. So right now, you know, we're just kind of putting things together that I felt like I needed right away, um, which was somebody to talk to, <laughs> you know, and um, and resources. Uh, we have a whole resource list in terms of books and uh, people and uh, documentaries and things like that that are also very helpful for people that I've accumulated, you know, through this journey over the mm-hmm. last four or five years and things that were really, really helpful for me to read and watch and people to talk to. Um, I think that will give people um, a hand up in mm-hmm. their own experience. So uh, for the people that are listening, um, do you want to, you know, do you have an email? Do you have a website that you can kind of plug on here if they want to reach out or have questions? They can go to voicesencourage.com. Okay. Um, There's information there. And then they can contact us through Voices Encourage. They can also, you know, join the community. Um, It's a free join. And um, as things begin to roll out, then they will be a part apprised of what's what's getting rolled out and choose whether they want to participate or not. Um, there are things that they can absolutely do where there's complete anonymity. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know who you are, but there are resources available to you. And if at some point you feel like you want to begin to kind of come out of the shadows, so to speak, um, I can assure you that you will have a safe community to be a part of. Um, we have rules. Mm-hmm. Um, that allow for um, our community to be safe and vibrant, and um, we can tell the raw and real of our own journeys. Well, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great, great speaking to you, and um, I wish you the best, and definitely wish Sam the best. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, and congratulations on ten years. 
coming up. They they say in the rooms, no fronts, um, but, you know, four months from now. So yeah. thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, again, thanks so much for coming on. And I um, I think there was a story we were talking about prior to you coming on that you wanted to tell me and share, share with the listeners. Yes. And one of the things that happened that was pivotal for me was three days after Sam's arrest, I walked into um, an executive corporate meeting where I'm the consultant and the CEO, the um, all the execs are in the room except for the CEO. And I realized very quickly something was wrong. And they told me very quickly that the CEO's son had passed away from an overdose on Saturday. So while their son passed, her son passed away, I watched my son being arrested at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. So between Saturday and Tuesday, when that meeting took place, I had done a tremendous amount of work to be able to be present and hold the space for them when they told me their story, because they're in the midst of trauma at that point. They're in the midst of shock at that point. They're trying to figure out how do we support our CEO in the midst of her just losing her eldest son. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just three days shy of the trauma that I had been through. So I learned in that episode of cops. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I learned in that moment that the work that I had done to prepare myself in those three days needed to be um, captured because I wasn't able to be present. I wasn't distracted by my own story three days earlier. Yeah. I did say a little prayer um, in, in my head, in my heart, when I heard that her son had died Mm. Um. And, um, and it wasn't until months later that I told them what my story was mm-hmm. only when I thought it would serve that I, I really did believe at that point that the CEO would, would understand that I had a window in, um, that she didn't know about. Um, although I didn't lose my son, um, I knew the journey of addiction. Yeah, and, and jumping, I knew the jumping in, jumping in like right away without her having a time to heal. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. I mean, and I only share the story because um, I thought it would serve. Um, and she's still in the process of healing. It's been, you know, two years, three years at this point. Um, I still work with them. Um, and I was able to do a lot of work with them that was very helpful in helping that company still stay, um, afloat and navigating and, um, thriving. And, um, you know, they've done very well since that experience. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. So, so, uh, in the midst of all of it, um, to be able to hold the space, I think that is part of the journey. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks again, KL, for coming home.